Hey everyone, welcome back to Stars Like Us. I am your host, Aliza Kelly, and I am so excited. I am here in sunny California, uh, where there is beach and sand and traffic. And I am with Alexandra Roxo, who I'm very, very excited to meet. Um, she is an author, she's a coach, she's a healer, and her first book is coming out in May, and it's called Fuck Like a Goddess, which makes me feel really great just to say. <laughs> so I can only imagine how amazing it's going to be to read this and to also like, you know, I live in New York, so I read books on the subway. And there's definitely like an awareness I have of people sort of checking out what I'm reading. So to be able to have a book in my hands that says that is really going <laughs> to, I think it's going to make an impression. So thank you for being here. It's lovely to meet you. Mm, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, that that inspires me to ask people like, to take photos or to have a friend take a photo of them holding it in public. I think that in itself will be a radical act. Yes, absolutely. Well, I, as we always do on this podcast, I'm going to turn the mic to you as we hear more about you and how you became, who you are, what that journey has been. But before we do, I need to know about your astrology because I oh, am yes. an astrologer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the best place to begin. <laughs> so, yes, that is really that is the genesis. Um, so do you know what your chart is? Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like wanting to ask you to guess, but I, I won't put you that much on the spot unless you like to do that. So I really don't. Okay. Um, but <laughs> that's a good opportunity for me to maybe share why I hate doing that is because people either are go some people are very solar people and really yeah. like generate a lot of their sun sign energy. Some people are very lunar people. Um, some are are very sort of embedded within their rising. And I also feel like that changes depending on the context. So when somebody says like, guess my sign, I also like that could be Saturn talking to me who's being combative, you know, yes, exactly. <laughs> and not that you were being combative, no. but sometimes that is presented in that way. Yeah. Um, so no, please share. <laughs> yes, I, I always think the same too. When people are like, what sign do you think I am? And I'm like, well, it depends how, what gaze that I have upon you. Exactly. If you ask yes. me to look into your suffering and your life <laughs> lessons, then like I'm looking at you differently right. than your emotional heart or um, the way you want to be seen. So yeah. Um, but I always find it interesting because like who I'm showing up at a certain day, like, am I showing up as my suffering? Am I showing up as my sex? Am I showing up as my you know, emotions, you know, it's yeah. so weird. Sometimes I do, I mean, I do feel like the different signs moving through me. I, I, I mean, I think I do. I identify them. So um, I'm a Pisces sun in the 10th oh. house. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I'm a Gemini rising and I'm an Aquarius moon in the ninth house. Mars in Scorpio in the fifth house. Cool. Uh, Venus in Aquarius. I can't remember what house that's in. And I have a ninth or eighth or tenth. Yeah, I think it's ninth as oh, it's ninth as well. Yeah. Um, and then I have a little Capricorn, but I can't remember where it is. It's like like Uranus or something, maybe. Yep. Um, I have no maybe Neptune. Yeah, maybe Neptune as well. And then my north node is Gemini in the twelfth house. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So uh, these eclipses upcoming are going to be really profound for you. Oh, Jesus Christ, what does that mean? <laughs> well, it's it's in line with your book release. I, you're going to, if you, I would imagine that you're going to be having your nodal return at this time. So, hmm. the well, you are, if your north node is Gemini, the north node is going to move into Gemini starting in June. Okay. Um, and in June, we have a new eclipse series beginning, uh, Gemini Sagittarius, which is going to lead us through 2021. 
And when you have your nodal return, it's like it's an amazing time to align with your destiny and your purpose Mm. and your direction. Yeah, Um, we have some sort of very serious nodal activity every nine years. So nine years ago, uh, you were having your nodal opposition, which is also moving you towards your destiny, but it just feels a lot stickier because Mm. it's opposition. Mm -hmm. So it would have been the North node in the sky was on your North node in Gemini. Um, Like, you know, there was that back and forth pulling, but now everything is synchronized and lined up. So interesting. Yes, it is going to be, it's a very charmed time. Very auspicious. Good. Good. I love that. Yeah. Nine years ago. Where was I? <laughs> yeah, what is nine years I ago? I was 26 in New York and, um, you know, writing scripts and submitting them to, you know, Sundance and Tribeca. And um, yeah, I was really pursuing my, my life as a filmmaker at that time. So amazing transition to, yeah. <laughs> who are you? What do you do? How did it all happen? Yeah. So I grew up in Georgia. Um, my dad's from Brazil, so I spent my summers in Brazil as a kid, and I kind of bounced back and forth between. Do you speak Portuguese? I do. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> um, I bounced back and forth between Brazil and Georgia, so I like grew up with this divorced parents, like Catholic, Brazilian, samba dancing, like you know, string bikinis, and like you know, going to clubs when I was 12 uh, and then going to Georgia where it was like church camp and creeks in the backyard and red clay on my feet and, you know, being a sinner and strip malls and <laughs> Victoria's Secret. So it was, there was this really um, beautiful kind of dichotomy in my life as a child. Perfect for a Gemini rising. Yeah. And my parents are both Taurus. My Chiron is in Taurus. Ooh. Yeah. I just got chills. Ugh. Some first house Chiron. Yeah, and they're my greatest teachers. My book is actually very much about my journey with them. Um, and and um, I'm gonna cry. How funny! Uh, not this enough. I do cry a lot, but usually not not I not on a podcast. But yeah, they've been my greatest teachers this life. And it's funny because my book is like a Taurus Gemini cusp, mm-hmm. uh, and they're Taurus, and you know my Gemini rising. Uh. So yeah, but growing up with them was was like I feel like our karma and being between these worlds, the two of them and divorce and their own kind of um their own issues and healing. They both had really tough childhoods and so they were probably like many of our parents still existing in their own traumas mm-hmm. and pain and depression and anxiety and addictions. Um and it, but at a young age, my mom kind of pulled me onto the spiritual path when I was like twelve. Um, Same year, you're going to the clubs. Yeah, in Brazil in the summer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Drinking a little Malibu. Speaking of Malibu, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I probably haven't drank Malibu rum in twenty years. But I, I remember being uh, thirteen in Brazil. Yeah, I definitely think that it, it Malibu rum is one of those things that is absolutely a hundred percent marketed to teenagers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I don't think I think I lost interest in drinking Malibu rum probably fourteen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in Brazil, they encouraged you, or at, at least when I was there, to like. Um, make out with people like often so there's this thing called to stay with people so you'd go out and you'd be like who'd you stay with tonight and you would quote unquote stay with like two three different people okay this is a generalization so not all of brazil but like where i was hanging like when i was 12 13 the parents would drop us off at like the underage clubs where there was alcohol offered fascinating (laughs) and then we would make out with boys 
and several of them. And who was the one who was saying that that was the thing to do? It was just a th- it was just like a cultural thing at the time. Like it was called like instead of making out, it was just like staying with boys. Like, but you weren't staying the night. You, and, you, and they never touched. Like it was just kissing. Like it wasn't like hands down pants or anything like that. And everybody like followed those rules, those I mean, guidelines. I asked some of my other Brazilian friends who know or like in the States here and my best friends who I happen to have two that are Brazilian. Their names are Moon and Sa, their brother, sister. I was like, guys, when you guys were teenagers, was there this thing where you would like go out to clubs or like go to parties and you just like, make out with different people? And um, they were like, yeah, yeah, it's so, the same for us. This is the 90s. And in Portuguese, the verb is ficar. So you'd be like, like, who did you ficar? Like, who did you, uh, you know, stay with tonight? So and would you would you like ficar with multiple people in a night yeah sometimes i don't think i did really honestly not i did that more in georgia (laughs) (laughs) and you you wouldn't like it there was no sort of like uh, ownership exclusivity it was like just go we wouldn't even exchange phone numbers or sometimes names (laughs) that was really wild that sounds kind of cool it was cool but then i come back to georgia and it was like and you were like fika i'm like guys let's make out and they're like oh my god (laughs) yeah so yeah i definitely brought some of that brazilian summer back with me and i would teach like the girls at school like these dances where you would like shake your butt and did the moms hate you i mean yeah (laughs) yeah i mean i was i got forbidden from a few people in places very young that was hard you know like i was i was comfortable with my body in a certain way and my sensuality and partially from you know growing up in brazil and so i got slut shamed a lot when i was like 12 13 even though i hadn't even like kissed a boy or seen a penis Mm -hmm. you know but it was just like i mean at church girls calling me like whore and stuff which is very wild. It was an, an interesting experience. It was painful. I remember just like crying to God when I was like 12, 13, being like, what the heck? Like, What's up with this? Why are these people so mean? Mm-hmm. And being like, I want redo. I don't, I don't, why did I, you know, why am I here? But my mom was awesome. Like, she was just like, don't listen to these small-minded people. Like, she was really smart. She, my parents met working for Pan Am in the 70s. That's that's very cool and yeah. retro. And she was like, you know, twenty two, so she she traveled around the world when she was really young. She lived in the UK. She like went to Egypt when she was twenty. You know, so the reason we ended up in Marietta, Georgia, was because her brother um, had moved there for his work. So when my parents got divorced, my mom went to be close to her brother. Got it. That makes but, sense. But besides that, I felt like we were like, you know, Sandra Bullock and Practical Magic. Did you ever see Practical? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I felt like we were like that, you know, people would come over to my house and like my mom would have like Enya playing and like incense burning. Are you an only child? Yes. So it was like, you know, that that kind of dynamic mom and daughter, mm-hmm. like magical best friends, like, you know, eating pizza in, in bed on Friday night. And then she gave me like my first Lemurian seed crystal when I was like 13. So cool. Took me to my first spiritual teacher who was a psychic when I was 12. I had a my my parents are also divorced and I had a similar I have a very magical mom. Um, She's also a Pisces moon like me. Mm. And, you know, we would do like manifestation circles. And we when I when I really wanted something, we would spin around and like chant and make it happen. The other component of it is that my mom is also an addict. Yeah. The shadow. Yeah. So it's you know, it was 
you know, on certain days and experiences, it was like I had the most enchanting, magical, mystical. And my mom's also an artist, so it was just like this creative space. But then there was also the other side of it, which was when if she was withdrawing or if she was, you know, in just a bad headspace, as she would call it. Um, And I wouldn't have that. And it was very, very scary. My mom also got sick when I was 10. So then there was like that added illness component to it. But it was it's interesting because I attribute so much of my belief in magic and my sort of spiritual reality to being exposed to this non-traditional spiritual I, I just the ability to sort of generate your own heat and mm-hmm. create things but it was also in this you know in the shadowy pisces way it was very there was a lot of delusion surrounding it too yeah. and i feel like it's been part of my adulthood in my 20s um now here i am you know, moving into my 30s to really untangle that yeah. so that i could have all the good stuff but it not pull back down into the darkness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I, I, I relate to having yeah. the pizza and crystals. <laughs> yeah. And my, my mom, you know, is, is a Taurus. I don't know where her moon is in her rising. I think I've asked her before, but she also uh, struggles with very, very bad depression and has my whole life. So there were those same sort of flip flopping of like, there was the heaviness that was mm-hmm. really heavy when it was heavy and it still is, you know, though we just, you know, got, we changed our way of dealing with it. And I've, I'm a grown up now. So. <laughs> being a grown up is the coolest thing ever. So, I love being an adult yeah, so much. So, <laughs> uh, she has to take care of herself, though. Yesterday, um, we're, she's done some ketamine. Tra- she's done so many different treatments. She's been on Zoloft for like 40 years, has not worked at all. And she uh, did uh, like electroshock therapy, like Whoa. crazy fucking shit. Like that was very, very scary for me. That was that during my Saturn's scary. return. She had a breakdown. It was like the worst years of my <sighs> life. Um, and that was like six years ago. And this last year she did ketamine therapy. But the way that the government is like prescribing that is kind of like it's not with a with a psychotherapist. So it's just so silly that they're prescribing ketamine, but then they don't give you any integration or any assistance or any sort of psychological support. So I am trying to get her to start microdosing psilocybin for um, as an antidepressant. And I'm hoping that when she retires from being a teacher, she teaches like special ed. Um, but when she retires that I can take her into doing some ceremonies with some, some mushrooms or MDMA or more ketamine, but with a psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. Is so. she still in Georgia? She is. Yeah, she is. We got to get her out to LA. Oh my God. <laughs> she struggled with so We got to goop lab her. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I'm like, mom, let me give you to Gwyneth. She would totally do it. She'd totally do it. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I'm going to get her on the microdosing for a while and see if, if, uh, if it helps at all. But I think, you know, what what I tell her is as I'm like, mom, being in Georgia, like in a suburban areas, depressing, like get out. Like, I'm sure I'd still be depressed if I was like driving to Walmart after work and like, you know, just being alone in a condo complex. Like, it's depressing. Yeah. I can't spend more than like a day or two there. Even though that's where you grew up. Well, you grew yeah. up in, in both places, but that's also part of your home. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it at all, at all. Um yeah, my mom sold uh, my childhood home when she had her breakdown. It actually, like everything got foreclosed upon and bankrupt, and um, yeah. So there's you must have an eighth house Saturn. Oh, Scorpio, Scorpio. No, is that the Scorpio house? Yeah, 
(laughs) (laughs) There's no way around that. Just a lot of transformation. Yeah. Yeah. So you were in New York before you came to LA. Yeah. So when I left Georgia when I was 18, I was like, I'm getting out of here. And I had gone to New York when I was 14 on a school drama trip. And I felt home. Like for the first time, I just was like, oh my God, this is my home. In Greenwich Village. And it was really bizarre because I am... I like flipped in a guidebook. We were staying in Times Square because that's where you stay when you like from Georgia and you go to New York City. <laughs> <laughs> and I flipped in a guidebook and I was like, any listeners don't do that. Don't do that. Coming, no, 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 <laughs> you're no, coming no. to New York. And this was like in 19, you know, 97 or something, 99. And anyway, um, but I, I was like, Greenwich Village, what is this? So like I told one of the chaperones from our school trip, like, could you take me to Greenwich Village tomorrow morning? Like without the group, like the group of 20 people were with. I don't know why he did or how or what, but this, this, he actually was the father of a girl who kept calling me a whore like years before. Oh, interesting. Yeah, ironically, it was him who took me and one other girl. I, I'm sure we could unpack that, but I know. we'll just keep on pushing on. <laughs> so it was him who he took me and a friend down to Greenwich Village to Washington Square Park, the West Village. I mean, at the time in the guidebook, it was called the Greenwich Village. <laughs> um, but it was to the West Village. So we went to Washington Square Park. And I remember being like, oh, my gosh, this is where my destiny is. And I was 14. And we sat at this little cafe, the Mona Lisa Cafe, which I don't think exists anymore. Um, and I was like, I'm going to school here. And I applied for a bunch of theater schools and NYU was the only one that I like wrote really fast the application and didn't have my mom look over it. They asked what your favorite art was. And I wrote about like an Ayn Rand book, like a very freakish 17 year old. Like, <laughs> like I wrote about like this, you know, a character in the book, The Fountainhead. And um, I got into NYU and I got a big scholarship and for acting. And my mom was like, there's no way we can afford this. But I made it work. Um, my, so I like worked two jobs through college and worked like 80 hours a week in the summer, paid for my housing, paid for my food. My parents paid a little bit what they could on their like teacher flight attendant salaries. Um, and then I had student loans and stuff that I literally just paid off a few few years ago. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, NYU is like 50K a year, so it's no joke. Yeah. I also went to a school that was 50K a year, got mostly financial aid and scholarships, had to work for the rest and I'm still paying off my student loans, but I really don't care. Yeah. Um, it's, it's actually interesting because I was just talking about this with my boyfriend the other day, like. When for me, when I was applying to college, I was like, I it, I am not going to feel limited by my parents finances. Mm-hmm. Like I just intuitively knew that like they made a lot of really bad financial decisions. But like I had to I, I couldn't um, I couldn't make a choice based on the decisions that they had made. Yeah, because I was that now it was about my future. Yeah. So even if that meant taking out student loans, like, fuck it, I'll pay them off. Like, yeah. I don't like, yeah, I, and I, I genuinely feel like when I talk to teenagers now and they're like, but the school is so expensive. I'm like, do not limit yourself because of the finances, because you could be a millionaire if you want to. Just exactly. Don't worry about it right now. And it it was the best thing that's ever happened to me, like to go to NYU I met some of my best friends who are still best friends with me now. I like my teachers were like, okay, this weekend, your homework is to go to the Guggenheim and watch all of Matthew Barney's work. I remember that. That was my life. You know, I got to lead that. I got to go to the most incredible shows where it was just like, okay, Al Pacino's in the show and it's $15 as a student. Ed Ed Norton's in the show and it's like, 
And I mean, I just had so much fun. I got to create and I wrote plays and I made films and I worked in the film department and I studied photo in Italy and I like traveled around Italy and I interned. I also traveled in you Italy. You did? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love all of these connection points. Oh, what's there are what's, no coincidences. What, um, school did you go to i was studying i went to carlton which is a school a very small school in minnesota yeah i've heard of and it. in for my study abroad i did a program through carlton to ireland and then i did a program through temple university to rome mm. and uh it was really interesting because i my mom is jewish my father is like i like christian but not really um but I went to these like most Catholic countries ever. Yeah. So clearly there is some sort of a mm -hmm. interesting pull to Catholicism on mm -hmm. a karmic level, because why the fuck would I choose Ireland and, and Italy? Rome. <laughs> yeah. And Rome. yeah, Rome, of course. Yeah. And I was staying like three blocks away from the Vatican. Oh, how funny. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I just will never regret going to NYU. Like the teachers, the people, the friends, like my best friend in the whole wide world who has been there for me for 17 years we talk all the time i was at her marriage i her baby called me like we met like on the first days of school you know and um yeah so that was worth it and 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 my career then began as an artist is like telling stories and i just wanted to tell stories about like the injustices that i saw specifically around being a woman and the injustices that i felt in religion and spirituality and regarding women's bodies and sexuality so I was like a very typical, cliche, delicious, young feminist artist <laughs> coming it. out of New York. Like my first works were like, um, you know, all these naked women holding cups of fake blood that were like dripping down their face, like just like cheers to our periods, you know, just like I did work with my friends. So like my friend had an abortion. We did a healing session. We like wrote words all over her body and took naked photos and did a ritual for her you know, unborn baby. And all this was like when I was like 20, you know, like all this, we, I just did all this like kind of, you know, feminist art. I did this one performance piece where I like held fake blood in my mouth and then spit it out through a hole in a white poster board and then used it to write on the poster board. And then like did a Margaret Atwood, Atwood um, poem and then like pulled red rose petals out of my panties and threw them at the audience. I love it. I love it. That, that, that is such important work to do when you're 20 and when you're in undergrad. Like, <laughs> I was so inspired by like Yoko Ono and yeah, Karen gonna, Finley. And, uh, yeah, yeah, the the Karen Finley piece of her, uh, the abstract expressionism, right through of uh, walking across the canvas. Yes, yeah, with her period blood. Yeah, that yes. Yeah, I also was so inspired. I studied art history in college, oh, and cool. I I took a the women in art class that I took was a turning point for me. Yes, it's huge. It's so important, especially if like it's just not in the popular kind of canon for of culture yes, for us yeah. and so we don't have anything to look to unless we look really deep and that requires being in a university or being somewhere i mean now with the internet it's a little bit different i guess if you're like you know a kid in a small town and you really want to know about feminist art you can just be more proactive but at that time for me there wasn't an intern i mean like the internet was like barely existing yeah. so you know, I couldn't just go to the Marietta Public Library and look up like these performance artists. Well, something I thought was I I really appreciated about being in college was the the idea of like problematizing your classes. Mm. And like, you know, in this women in art class that I took um, with one of the you know, like very senior professors there, she retired um, actually the year after I graduated. And so she had been at the school through the 60s and the 70s and through first wave feminism. Um, 
And she, the the first day of class, she was like, the fact that we are in a class called women in art in in and of itself is a problem. Mm. Like the fact that this is, we have to subdivide yeah. this as a concept so that we know that we're going to look at women artists. Like this is an issue in and of itself. And yeah. then bringing in Linda Nochlin, why are there no great female artists? And it's because greatness is defined in masculine terms. Yeah. So just like having access to these texts and this philosophy and all of this discourse, um, I it was so inspiring because it was like people are questioning things. Yes. People are like yeah. challenging the infrastructure in these very thoughtful, intellectual ways that isn't just like me at 14, like, you know, smoking cigarettes and like being mean to my teachers. Right. Which is how I was challenging the infrastructure at yeah. that time. Yeah. But to do so in like a really targeted and sharp way i feel like that is a lot of what i learned at that time yes and i was making also a lot of very similar like very good 19 year old 20 year old art of like i'm gonna take all of the youtube videos that are sexualizing women and mash them together and force people to watch them like a clockwork orange with their eyes open and see how it feels yes 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 (laughs) i'm sure if youtubers around when i was like that like you're a bit younger than me i think then i would have been doing the same thing (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean it's so important and i mean I think that that's something that university does offer is those conversations. Like, I mean, at NYU, this was back in like 2000, the conversations around indigenous people's voices and like black voices in the art and theater world were also happening at school. And there were, I mean, it was very, um, we were being challenged to be activists too at NYU. Like there were these classes where it was just like very much like you need to have ideas, you need to be putting them out in the world, you need to be challenging. It was was definitely like it made me question things. It was like the first layer. My teachers were amazing. Anyway, thank you all of my NYU teachers. (laughs) You guys are still in my heart. They know that actually. Sometimes I'll post about them. I'll be like, yay, thank you. (laughs) That's very sweet. That's, That's good. Yeah. But yeah, so after after New York, after NYU, I um, moved to Portland and I wanted to like sort of live um, in a sustainable way. And I went to witch camp and then I like, what is witch camp? (laughs) (laughs) It was do not gloss over witch camp. (laughs) It was called free activist witch camp. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was it started from the reclaiming tradition, which is Starhawk's tradition. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Starhawk's a great teacher. If you're if you're if you're someone that appreciates earth based spirituality or paganism or starhawk is someone you should know because she is like a, a seminal voice um, yes in bringing that and her tradition is specifically called the reclaiming that she's kind of put together um i'm not like affiliated with it directly but i studied a lot of her work and she still really deeply inspires me because her ideas really involve the earth mm-hmm. and remembering that the earth is like huge part of, it's everything <laughs> um so she had this free activist witch camp which she wasn't at but she had like you know put trained people and so there was like permaculture sustainability ways to do public ritual ways to um be an activist but from a, a, a this kind of pagan ritualistic standpoint so um at that time i was really into like i was just into ritual and into activism and into but artistically and ritualistically not like so much politically um so yeah i went and stayed in the woods for a week slept under a tarp and did rituals and like you know learned rituals that's amazing 
Yeah, that was cool. That was the same summer I went to the Rainbow Gathering. So. <laughs> Watch the Rainbow <laughs> Gathering. <laughs> I mean, I'm like a deep mystical hippie at heart. Like I've kind of done a lot of the stuff. Um, and the Rainbow Gathering I went to with my friend Rebecca, who's the one I met like in college. Um, and it's uh, it's just like a giant kind of hippie festival in the woods, but it's free. So it's like pandemonium. I mean, I went like 15 years ago, but it was Is it chaos. like uh, the woodland Burning Man? Kind of, but okay. like, <laughs> but it's not, it doesn't cost money. Burning Man's so expensive and you have to like buy all the things and you have to get right, there. Right, and like, right. this is a place that like, there's a lot of homeless people. There's a lot of street kids because anybody can go and it's just like in the woods. But people like lead workshops and dance classes and things like that and drum circles and peace prayers and the Hare Krishnas are there. And at this time, like my, my early 20s, I was just like the most kind of free, like hairy armpits would wear the same long white dress every day, like with a veil on my head. And like, I was like, would take a greyhound for a few days by myself like I was just like a little a little wandering mystic you know I I, I traveled around France and stayed at random monasteries and this was pre-iPhone so it was like I was just trusting I just trusted spirit a lot and I was mostly broke during that time yeah I was gonna ask how money tied into this yeah well like my dad worked for united airlines so i got to fly for free which is cool so that i like cool. hopped back over to europe and hung out with some some people that i had met there and traveled around we in europe a few times um but yeah like i would just live cheap you know really cheaply were you not scared of money at that time i was in debt from the loans um no i wasn't i didn't have any so like you know the little bit that i did have i was just like i worked with that you know and then of course i worked i saved money like i'd work like a waitressing job for a three mo few months and save a bunch of money and then i assisted one of my mentors on a feature film she directed and saved a bunch of money moved to portland with that money worked at a juice bar in portland while i was like writing scripts and like um writing poems and and just exploring life and learning per permaculture and hoping to you know try to make a difference that was like when i was 21 yeah and that was those were good years there were good years of my life because i was so just trusting trusting of of everything and um i i think before people were looking at me specifically like there wasn't my there was no iphone so it was just like i was in the present and i was doing things and having parties and people were playing the accordion and reading poetry and like we were riding so bikes. Groovy. I know, <laughs> like making love in the cemetery with my boyfriend and like, you know, like just like it was magical. It was magical. Um, those years were very magical. And then I lived in Seattle I moved there with a boyfriend and then, then met another boyfriend. <laughs> um, Seattle was super magical. Like I was friends with a bunch of artists and we made art and um, in like old warehouses and like, I just visited one of these friends who I hadn't seen in years and he just tattooed me this it's on beautiful. my arm. <laughs> His name's Nico. Um, so those years were magical, I think, for all of the friends, all of us. And I'm still friends with all those people, even though it was like a decade ago. We were just making awesome work. And some of them have gone on to like do big work. One of them does stuff with like Marina Bromovich. And um, after Seattle, I moved back to New York to pursue my art more deeply. Because I was like, okay, there's a glass ceiling kind of over here in terms of like the scene. Mm -hmm. Went to New York, wrote scripts, got like scripts in different labs with Independent Film Week, got my scripts read at Lincoln Center, 
made some short films, got some awards, showed my films in some feminist art biennial and, and different kind of galleries and festivals. Made a first feature, independent feature that I acted in and funded. And it was really about like the female archetypes of the Virgin and the whore. Um, and this kind of Mother Mary, Mary Magdalene. I got a great review and variety for that, which was very surprising. I was 23. That's amazing. <laughs> and like it was in it was in like the New Yorker and all these other I mean, I feel like the fates have been on my side when it comes to my career, even though like I haven't I'm not famous and I haven't like made millions, but I've been like blessed in these ways. Like, you know, so many people make a first crappy film and don't sell it and don't show it in theater in New York mm -hmm. City. Yeah. And don't get a review in Variety. And it was like, that's cool. And then, you know, I like walked up to the head of Vice with my friend and we were like, we want to do this project with you. And we did it and 12 million people watched it. That's <laughs> wild. We worked at this strip club in New Mexico and like got to know the women there and the truckers and then that led to a TV pilot with Spike Jones, and then I mean, yeah, like, and then you know I was working on something else, Steven Soderbergh, and then I acted in Steven Soderbergh like one of his um, TV shows with Clive Owen, The Nick. Anyway, that whole chapter of my life was like very big and yummy, and I had agents at CAA, and you know it was an epic to be written about in the New Yorker and Vogue and in you know the Wall Street Journal. Da -da -da -da. I thought you know for sure I'm like going to go on to be like an important writer, director, actor. And after like two television series didn't, or te television pilots didn't go to series, I was completely broke. And ho I felt hopeless at that moment. Which, and how old are you here? 30. Oh, okay. So this is, your whole 20s is like... Art making. Art making. Filmmaking. Charmed. Yeah, magic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right place, right time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, never like a ton of money, but like just enough and enough inspiration and enough not having to sell out in a sense of like telling real stories that felt good to me but when those two shows didn't go to series and my agents at CA were like hey this doesn't feel like things are really moving forward my former business partner and I split um and she and I had met Saturn's return and we were like each other each other's like major karmic movement mm -hmm. which we had found the charm together it was like we met and like everyone turned eyes to us. Mm -hmm. It was very bizarre. It was like we're in the cover of the London Times Sunday Style together. Like we made a web show called Be Here Now-ish and 500 people were at our premiere at the Jane Hotel in New York. And it was just like, who are we? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I, she and I had major, major karma together. And then it was like a divorce when we split. It was like my whole life crumbled, her whole life crumbled. We both kind of hit a rock bottom emotionally and rebuilt. We both had to rebuild. Why did you guys split? Well, I was being called towards this path of being a healer and like being a facilitator and a coach for other women. And it was like, I didn't want to let go. But it was like, I kept being tugged for a while. I even wrote a character in our web show. My character moves to LA and becomes a coach. And this came out of my subconscious. Mm -hmm. I'd never thought those thoughts before. But I'm like, oh, I'm writing this character. She moves to LA. She becomes a coach and she's helping people. And we laughed about it like a year later and I was like, shit, that was my subconscious desires that I was repressing mm -hmm. to be a healer and a helper. Um, so that sort of splitting apart of she and I's company and our work. I was also so stressed with these long filmmaking days. They're like 16 hour days and the agents are calling you all the time. And like 
you never know if a project's happening. And it was a lot for my sensitive soul. Yeah. It's a high adrenal life and a high risk life. And I felt like, you know what, I don't think this is really like sustainable to me in the long run. So for me to say, and it wasn't making me consistent money. So I was also right. just like complete scarcity, like in fear a lot of time. So when I had to tell my my former business partner, like, hey, I need a real job. <laughs> like I need a job that I can pay the bills. It was devastating because we had been building together for four years and and we were best friends. And so it was really, it was really tragic. She just came out of nowhere, like about four months ago. And we just met up for the first time in four years Wow! and hugged and laughed and cried and told each other we loved each other. And I, I was never expecting that when we parted ways, we were like, we can never see each other again because mm -hmm. our, our intensity of, um, and not romantic, but just love. We were creative, like geniuses together, I think in a way, like we're like soul emanations or twin flames you mm -hmm. know but anyway so coming out of that like twin flame like charmed new york like super splashy vice yaa years and then being like well fuck <laughs> what am i gonna do okay i'm supposed to become this like healer coach what does that even mean and then it's just happened so easily like it's just happened i mean not not that it's been like not any hard times but it's been something that like I feel like has been blessed. So clients have come, opportunities have come. And you and it was at that point you moved out to L.A. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's definitely a few like kind of dark rebuilding years, but we felt very kind of lonely and um, being taught how to be a healer and like a sort of energy worker is not a joke. Like it, it means you, you're, you know, kind of working with these invisible forces. So I've been in sort of that training school now for the past like five years, um, which is its whole nother thing. But I've been really like supported and loved in that process. So I've had money coming in. I've had, you know, uh, now I have a really nice home and I haven't got my book deal and I've gotten press the whole time randomly, like randomly, you know, like, oh, you got written about in the New York Times. Like what? You know, so I feel like the spirits are like, this is your path, honey. Like you're on it. Um, yeah. And so then my book's coming out this year. And the book is really about the, about my own healing and spiritual journey. And then how I've translated that into teachings for other women, um, specifically around like sexuality, sexual shame, sexual trauma, uh, body body shame, eating disorders, and some of the stuff that I sort of inherited from my my parents mm -hmm. and my my kind of well maybe not inherited but like was was mirrored in my family. Um, I'm not going to blame them. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're moving past that. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm very past that. But um, yeah, so the book has been sort of like that process for myself of like sharing with others like how I healed myself from like not being happy with my body or not being not fully accepting myself sexually or feeling ashamed or feeling repressed or denying myself or denying my voice. Yeah. So that's, it's been a, it's been a beautiful wild life, you know, like it's definitely not been quiet. Like, um, I've had a lot of love and a lot of lovers and relationships and I've had, I've lived in different places and I've made things and I've been like sort of backed into corners of like, what am I going to do now? Many times. And you know, but I've, that's been what I've chosen. And, and now I'm 35. I'm like, all right, girl, we don't need to like run that hot. We don't need to like keep things at that high octane. And so my life now is a bit more chill. At least that's relative. I mean, I did do like a 
a lot of retreats and traveled to India and Nepal and did ayahuasca a bunch last year. So, <laughs> I mean, I guess not for most people, that's not, not chill. But um, yeah, right now I'm really focused on seeing on rooting down and like kind of grounding some of my Pisces, Aquarius, Gemini. <laughs> it's what kind of strikes me is that it's it feels to me like as you're telling this story, we are still very much in it yeah right now like you know i i i I talk to a lot of people and stars like us and it's such a wonderful opportunity to like hear people's tales and oftentimes um you know when i say like okay how do we get here now it almost sort of is like and that's how and then it and then it happened whereas i feel like in a very piscean way you're like and now i'm doing this but dot 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 yeah so do you feel like dot 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 still i mean for sure for sure i think that i'm constantly unfolding you know and um the one thing that's remained super consistent is my spiritual practice and path like that's been 20 years going strong um not that it hasn't had evolution but like that's the core of who i am and then also being a writer which is my core art sharing the stories and telling stories and asking questions and that again has been through and through. My sexuality has shifted. I've dated men, I've dated women, I've dated trans people. It's been just men the last five years because I've got some stuff I'm still learning there. <laughs> and um, and it's like my jobs have changed, right? Like, so I've done, you know, I've been paid to be many different things. But who I am at my core, like, is that is the spiritual path and the truth teller and the storyteller. And so, you know, those things just keep keep lighting the way how they manifest could shift you know like like i don't know i could be a tv host i could be a a poet i could be an academic it doesn't matter so much but the same dharma is is moving through me Mm -hmm. you know does that make sense yes yeah um are you in a relationship now um i'm not in a committed one someone has come back around for like the second or third time who in a I'm, mercury retrograde way or in a more substantial well, way <laughs> yeah like he and i met um a year and a half ago and i someone mentioned his work to me and i was really inspired and i was like i need to meet him so i reached out to him and his team was like oh, he's not available for like the next month. And, and I was like, okay. Um, so I was like, okay, whatever. But then he wrote me on Instagram and I, I just looked this up the other day because I thought, what story did he reply to on my Instagram? And I found this uh, the first time he messaged me, which was like this this story where I'm wearing like a white turban on my head on the streets of New York City. And I'm singing onto my Instagram story, this super spiritual song. And underneath it says a bleeding woman let loose in new york (laughs) (laughs) and he wrote back to that he wrote to that story like hey want to meet up this weekend (laughs) oh my god that that is so sexy (laughs) and i said to him the other day i was like you know i was curious like how you asked me out because i know how i asked you out and then and I, I was like i looked back at the story and i was like of all the stories you responded to the one i look like a nut like i look like a crazy person like <laughs> and he was like i remember exactly when i saw it i was sitting in my friend's room in brooklyn and i was like oh, i'm gonna write her <laughs> um so yeah so we dated for for a bit i was still getting over someone else during the time um who was like a a big hitter to my heart a big one and um and then we were at burning man together 
and we had one of the best nights of our life together and he has a podcast and recently i was on it which i think was his way of reconnecting with me um he's like do you want to be in my podcast i am going to be looking (laughs) that up immediately (laughs) and um and on the podcast he was like i spent the best night of my life with you and i was like oh my god and i was like that was one of my favorite nights too <laughs> i mean i guess it's public so you might as well tell us what is the podcast well, the podcast's not out yet ah, yeah, okay yeah. so i think it's coming out soon but now i'm feeling very embarrassed to like say his name here though i'm sure he would love it you have to no you don't have to there is no pressure but i want to know i'll tell you on the side we can link it in the show notes if i'm feeling brave um yeah no he's but the thing is regardless like we're friends so i think that we we reconnected um a few months ago and when i was on his podcast which i guess like we broke up because I, i i was like you know you're too young for me and i was stuck on having kids and like wanting them soon and kind of like in this rigidity around that which i've now softened and i'm just like you know what i i can't like lead with that i don't feel like it's this i feel like i have to kind of let it let it be and let um it's known you know and i uh but it doesn't need to be like the first thing you know before even falling in love with someone mm-hmm. of like hey just so you know i want to have a baby <laughs> like is that um so we've kind of opened the door and talked about that stuff again and and i've been like oh i'm open to us dating and like feeling how things feel so he's arriving tomorrow because he lives in san francisco now so this is so it is mercury retrograde i know so it's a little mercury retrograde yeah so i don't know we'll see um and someone i care about regardless of what we whether we're together but they've been some amazing men showing up in the past few years a lot of deep lessons not gonna lie Mm -hmm. there's been some some you know real big big people coming through and some i want to marry you and i want to have kids with you and then like things not um turning out in that way and it being more of just like a karmic relationship where we're both mirroring each other's shit yeah so i feel like i feel like i kind of got through some of those hard ones because they were hard and during that time i mean it's a lot of my dad's stuff which i write about in my book my dad and i also made peace during this time wow so my dad and I last year, after kind of having like an underground war for 30 years of kind of like, you know, on the surface, we were trying to make it work. But inside, like, I was just like a pissed off teenager. Um, and he was just like withholding love because I was withholding love. And it was like this vicious cycle. So we finally, it, like, because I changed, we changed. And now he and I like came to a place of peace last july where it wasn't like we were like hey i know we've hated each other for 30 years it was just like he was like wow everything has changed between us Mm. and i can feel it and so i kind of feel like now that i've traversed that sort of human gauntlet of of you know deep work that my relationships will reflect a difference and i'm just like being patient about how they show up and when because i was just dating dad a lot i hear you yeah i relate to that i mean mean, yeah so i think that now i'm like okay cool like i i don't need to work that out in my relationship like i'm still happy to date someone who has some of his great qualities but i don't need to like keep kind of it was like super spot on right like someone even looked just like him and then they had the exact (laughs) trauma and those exact addictions and all that stuff but yeah so that's probably that's probably been my biggest life work spiritually is the work with him yeah, I, I think that 
uh, big breakthrough that I had in in sort of perpetuating my cycles as they related to romance was that the the absence of my father in the ways that he was absent was just never ever going to be fixed Mm -hmm. and like there was going to be no romantic partner who was going to take that pain away yeah and that pain just has I just have to accept it yeah and as when I started to just like allow that to be without trying to fill the void and without Mm -hmm. trying to replace my father uh it I ended up with someone who was not 20 years older than me, mm. <laughs> which was the, the is my longest relationship to date. Wow. Who I'm with now, who's like wow. up here. Wow. And it's the relationship is like we're, uh, our composite chart is all Gemini. So it almost is like we're twins, mm. but it is a very different energy from these significantly older men that I was dating for throughout most of my 20s mm. who were very clearly me trying to acquire that paternal that, love yeah totally it's oh, it's a lifetime of unpacking it is no i know <laughs> I, it, well i think it is for the whole collective it like, is I think, yeah you know whenever i tap into it i'm like oh this is like the dad energy of the planet that we're still um rehabilitating i mean look at trump so you know? fucking real yeah literally it's yeah. the dad energy of the planet yeah it's it's the patriarchy and it's, it's through the, us yeah yes. Yes, it's not. Uh, there's no coincidence. The fact that so many of us are experiencing that because it's not really ever just our dads. No. You know, like our dads don't have that much power. No. It's like men. It's the way that we perceive men in society. The way that we as women have metabolized that energy. Yeah, and worthiness again, like Linda Nochlin, like through a male gaze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and we're changing it all, I think, right now. I think so, too. But I think it takes this is so an much extraordinary courage. time. But yeah, and we also have to have Trump as the fucking president, apparently, in order for these things to actually start um, really coming to the surface. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And my dad is a big Trump supporter. Oh, man. When I was just in Miami with my dad over Christmas, he was like, you remember when Trump got elected and you were so sick and depressed the next day? He was like, I just loved that. And I was like, you, I looked at him, I said, you are a sadist. You love torturing me. Yeah, <laughs> like, that that is really fucked up. I know, but my dad—that's a dynamic I've accepted yeah. at this point. That he's right. That's sadistic. That's and what we do. He love. He just loved watching me squirm since I was a child. Um, but you know, okay, no- boomer. <laughs> <laughs> at least now I joke about. It. I'm like. Do you want me to just get you a whip or like some leather pants so that you can like just kind of complete the look, Poppy? Yeah. <laughs> Wild. But, you know, and then it influences my sexual preferences. And I'm just like, OK, this all makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, you know, it's it's not easy to connect these dots, but. Uh, consciousness is just such a gift it is. And we can and just I laugh about it all now. I just don't take it personally anymore. You know, I can have that like conscious look at my life or my experiences or my traumas or my past or my parents. And I'm just like, this is, you know, it's the magical art of my creation and my co-creation with my parents or my friends or my lovers. And I'm not a victim of it. And I can choose to approach it with joy and laughter and compassion and acceptance or I can be pissed about it which I was for a long time. So. And you can still be when you want to be. Exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. But, you know, at least with certain situations that I know are not going to change, I choose to, you know, laugh or to be compassionate, yes. you know, so. 
yeah, it is what it is what it is. Whatever's happening on the planet, and however Trump is moving through, and 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 you know our relationship to the Earth, and whether we become extinct first or what. Totally, I mean, it's just all TBD. <laughs> right? Really, very real. Well, in the meantime, something that isn't TBD is yeah. the fact that your book is coming out. Yes. So, where can we find you as we anticipate uh, this amazing release? Well, so I write a lot on Instagram. I love writing kind of raw open-hearted poetry and shares and um writing is like my favorite thing so i write a lot online um and then i will share when like as my book is approaching its its birth i'll share a lot about that on instagram i'm sure so my instagram handle is just my name alexandra roxo the book is coming out with sounds true and um yeah the book is so good if you have problems or are still holding sexual shame or repression or have been through sexual trauma are afraid to like be embodied and be sensual and also have a spiritual practice um if you've been afraid of sharing your voice with the world speaking up or being seen some of the common issues that modern women have faced post kind of patriarchy right mm-hmm. like that's the st- stuff that i write about you know even just my relationship with my body and food and all the things that i worked through in the like past 10 years and i have a lot of really fun rituals and exercises and writing prompts and um practices in the book so um yeah if that's something that resonates with you then please find me and um i would love to connect more more deeply so it's just going to be fuck like a goddess on my website alexandraroxo.com and um yeah find me on instagram amazing thank you so much oh, such thank a you pleasure. so much for having me thank you bye